You're listening to Oxide Film, written and directed by Matty O'Donovan and Tom Sayre. Hello, and welcome to Oxide Film with Tom and Matty. I'm Hello, the Thomas. Once Woo. more with Matthew. I'm so ready for this. I've had a nice chill week with a lot of nice films in it, um, and the most important news of all, Sound very hazed. a new mascot. Yes, we do have Give a new mascot. Give us an introduction. Uh, it's a Womble that I picked up from from a charity shop. Uh, the <laughs> he's lovely. Okay, no, no, yeah, he's lovely. He's I'm, nice, I'm laughing nice. with him, not yeah, at him. Yeah, okay. he's he's got he's got a nice little cap and and he's looking very studious. And he's our mascot for this week. His so nose is pretty unparalleled. Yeah, 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 very very big nose. But before we properly begin this episode, we've got a very exciting video that Matty has just shown me. I hope you enjoy. Keep watching back to back Batman and tonight an ABC Family premiere event. It's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. It's a new kind of beginning for a legendary hero. Does it come in black? He fights for family and lives for love. I never stopped thinking about you. Christian Bale and Katie Holmes. Batman begins. Premieres tonight at 8, 7 central only. Well, that is br- that is brilliant. <laughs> just just to clarify, because in case any of that was confusing, that's um, a promo for the network premiere of the first of the Batman trilogy by Christopher Nolan, and it's on <laughs> it's on uh, or it was on ABC Family, which was obviously a family geared network. So they've edited it to make it look like it's a kind of rom com rather than the superhero psychological thriller that it is, and it's brilliant. I only just saw this before we started recording, and I can't really contain myself. Does it because come in black? If That's you, a if bit... you, and there's a whiplash in there somewhere <laughs> as well. If you've seen the movie, it's obviously very little like what you see in the trailer, but I'll link well, that in the yeah, description because put a link. that is beautiful. You need, you need the visuals as well to add to In that. a wonderful segue um, from that, Nolan, who directed the Batman trilogy, among other enormous names like Don Kirk and Inception, and my favourite movie ever, Memento, um, Ever. His, yeah, I know. His next film is to be released in summer of next year, 2020. Do we know anything really about exciting. it? Um, not much apart from that, um, but it is obviously very exciting because he is very much a landmark director of our time. So I thought I'd begin the sort of new segment with that. Question, no, no, question. I have something yeah. because everyone, and I am one of these people, mm-hmm. clamours after Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. as one of mm-hmm. the defining contemporary directors that we have. What is his weakest film? His weakest film? That's a good question. I think... Of the ones that I've seen, in a really weird way, it might be um, Batman Begins. Um, because I watched the trilogy again really recently with, with my dad. And um, for some reason, when I was looking back at the trilogy in my memory, I thought that Dark Knight Rises was my favourite. Um, and I watched them again. I enjoy Batman Begins. There's some sort of strange plot beats that, and some just sort of very needless sex scenes, I suppose, in there as well. Um Dark Knight is 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 a massive classic, and I th- I think it just about deserves the prestige it gets. And when I saw Rises again, I actually was surprised at how little I enjoyed it this time around because it is just a bit too long for me. Do you, Do you think um, that um I know I sorry you're going into news, but yeah, this yeah, is interesting. Course. Do you think that uh your opinion about Batman Begins mm. is paled a lot because of the Dark Knight? I agree because um, I think it does for yeah, me. Like I still yeah. think it's a really really strong film yeah. and think about those three years between Batman Begins and Dark Knight 2005 when it came out 
uh, that would have been a game changer. It was the era of Marvel's Electra and the film oh. Daredevil that were I haven't seen either, but I'm planning That's on so getting a couple of beers and, and enjoying myself watching those. Yeah, cause... back to back, you have to. <laughs> There's nothing linking them other than Jennifer Garner, but watch mm. them both because I, I but, am excited. But for yeah, that. yeah. Do you feel like it paled in comparison? Yeah, uh, to be fair, that is the case. I think, but but of Nolan's that I've actually seen for myself, that's probably the case. Um, Memento is a second feature film um, that really got him on the map. And I thought for a while that it was his first. Um, but that is really, really high in the memory um, for me. It's a real favourite. Have you seen... Because my one, I'm not really sure. Like, mm. I, I see what you might be saying about Batman Begins. But um, yeah. his one of his first films was Insomnia, which I don't yes. know if you've seen. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Um, no. it's, with, it's really weird. It's with... Uh, Al Pacino as a detective and Robin Williams oh, wow. as the kind okay. of psychotic killer. Yeah, that is probably his most paint by numbers story. So okay. maybe that yeah. one. But anyway, that I just I always find it interesting because loads of people speak his praises. It's yeah. interesting to see. If I need to get on a little or more. Interstellar. I yeah. forgot about that. Interstellar was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Anyway. Um, oh yeah. Uh, yeah so on. we'll just carry on with some film news. Um, got a couple of very small segments. Um, Aquaman is now the highest grossing DC movie of all time surpassing even the dark knight rises um which i haven't seen it and i really want to because apparently it's <laughs> really amusing um just it's as a film getting quite good reviews. it's james wan right who yeah, directed yeah. a lot of kind of landmark horror films like the first saw um so it does look like a lot of fun to be fair i i also haven't seen it the problem i have with it um mm. even before seeing it is yeah. that because it's made this this much money and i've heard that it's like quite your traditional superhero affair yeah. but a lot of fun to watch mm. it it's another move for DC that kind of might skewer creative output later on into their universe. Because if a film makes enough money, they're going to make another one. Like I really like Wonder Woman. I think it's their strongest of mm-hmm. their films, but it's not the fact that it got quite critically well received as what's pushing it for a sequel. The Wonder Woman 1984. Mm. Or, That's the one. I think yeah, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it's the fact that it made so much money. So I would rather they try and, reinvent the wheel when it comes to superhero films rather than just produce another mm. of the same kind of ill you know same kind of fair yeah but, i think that's fair but yeah. we'll see i mean I, i'm yet to see it so i can't judge it so far but it's made a lot of money yeah, a lot of money and my final bit of, of news is almost 15 years after the sequel anne hathaway has said that the script for princess diaries 3 oh has been announced God. And she and Julie Andrews are on board. That is the greatest piece of news we've I, done in the show. It's very true. I, I I haven't thought about those movies for about as long as I've said after the sequel, about 15 years. Um, they're really enjoyable. They're um, damn, I love them. <laughs> I, I absolutely love them. I, I, we're not we're not old by any stretch of the imagination, but I remember watching them on VHS. Wow. Yeah. So that I've was got a lot of VHS at home. We we had a we used to have this massive crate of VHS. Um, videos of just kids shows like loads of pingu loads of harry and his bucket full of dinosaurs rogue choice i know and like some fireman sam in there postman pat it was an absolute blast so vhs was was the time to be alive anyway anyway i was (laughs) diverging completely so they're making a third one oh yeah is it what is the name of the country again? Gen- Genovia. Genovia, that's it. I think, yeah. Yeah, which sounds way too like it could be a country for someone yeah. who was completely ignorant about geography. Yeah, um, yeah I loved it. The second one... Eh, I don't much. remember much about it. There was the, the guy who was like the butler, who was yeah. just awesome. Joe, is that his yeah, name? Joe, in the, in yeah. the film? I'm, I'm pretty sure there was an episode of American uh, Dad where they poked fun of him because he always paid butlers as, as yeah. like, or like servants. He was just, I mean, at, at risk of being a complete cliche 
iconic as yeah. a character but but it, oh, we stole the show <laughs> yeah i don't know those movies have a lot of charm the first one is a, is this kind of very strange like publicity story yeah. where she you know where she starts in her home going down a fireman's pole because her like home is really quirky and yeah. weird how um, would she be able to afford like that apartment let alone like before that, she yeah, realizes she's a princess that, like, yeah room piece that she's made for herself like that, yeah. that, that pole i was so jealous it's of just that. anne hathaway dude yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that's what's made oh, no, it. I, I there was one line i always quote on that is the the, the iconic like please get off the grass yeah. kind of thing yeah. my sister me and my sister have always said that I was actually it. thinking about completely um, devoid of, of this news I was thinking about the scene and I don't know if it's the first or second one where there's like a girl at school who's talking to the press and saying like oh yeah this person that the princess was like always my best friend and like I, I used to one, love going shopping one. with them yeah. and then like on camera the princess Anne Hathaway like comes up and like stuffs like ice cream all over her dress or something yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah. why I was thinking of that recently but it yeah, came to mind the thing is it's those it's scenes like that you just don't mm. have any logical reason why you remember them but they're the ones that stick yeah that's that's super cool news um, I actually have one piece of news Go which I thought you were going to bring up because okay. um, I'm surprised you didn't exciting uh, Edgar Wright has said that he's in the beginnings of the process of writing Baby Driver 2 no way. Yeah. Which, I have not heard this. No, it's it went under the radar a bit this week. I don't know how to feel about it. I'm I'm no purist. Uh, I have, still haven't seen Blade Runner 2049, but I know mm-hmm. that you've spoke very highly. Yeah, about I think it. it's good. And, and, uh, and Mad Max, as we've said in previous episodes, mm-hmm. a sequel can, to something that's very uh, highly acclaimed, can work mm-hmm. if it's done well. Incredibles yeah. 2, for example. Um, I don't know how this how this will fare because I love the ending to that film and yeah. I just love that film. That was like one of my, if we, if we'd done this uh, podcast two years ago and we did the favorite film uh, yeah, list of the past would, year, I think it would be baby driver. Probably. Yeah. I think baby driver. I know exactly what you mean. It does feel like a standalone film. And <laughs> of all things I was watching, um, I've had a very busy week, as you can tell. I have been watching some Shrek videos on YouTube explaining why Shrek two is like a really, really good sequel. Um, and describes a sequel as something that has to accomplish three things. It's mainly to continue the story in a meaningful way, to introduce new themes, and to make sure that the characters' decisions keep making sense to their like core beliefs um, from the first film, I guess. And then he goes on to say that Shrek 3 is an awful sequel for those reasons as well. Yeah. Um, so I think, again, like something like Shrek, if you kind of, in hindsight, before the sequel, would feel like a very much a standalone film, and yeah. you could see that things could happen, but it's very much an enclosed story. So I know what you mean. It's, 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 it's exactly the same with what we were talking about, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Yeah. As in, like, a lot of people would have put that higher on their opinions. Mm-hmm. Two things in addition to that uh, yeah. news. Um, one thing is I, I trust Edgar Wright. He hasn't done a sequel to any of the films he's ever done. I mean, the Cornetto trilogy isn't kind of sequel. loosely sequel, yeah. So yeah. if he feels like there's a story there, then I trust him. Mm. The second thing is that there are rumours circulating that uh, what the second film will focus on mm-hmm. would be the villain would be uh, John Berthnall's character from the first one. I and really hope so, because he doesn't really crop up. He leaves after 10 it's minutes. It's almost jarring how yeah. like he just leaves yeah. the leaves the film. Like If, yeah. if you were by by Chekhov's gun, I thought he was going to come back because mm. he's too big of a star. So maybe that's what he had in, in plan if the film yeah. had yeah. made it. I'm a huge fan yeah. of Berthnall. Um I watched Walking Dead up to season six, I think, yeah. um, before it just really started getting boring. And his I character... I wow, had a bit nice more one. tolerance. Yeah. His, uh, his character in the first two seasons has a good arc and and ends in a satisfying way yeah. i suppose and as punisher he's really great mm-hmm. in his own tv show and in daredevil season two um and he seems like a really friendly guy in real life as well so he's, he, he, i reckon he could be quite a good villain but mm. we shall see that is very very early days so mm-hmm. i mean the film made 
uh, a fair bit of money off a quite small budget. So that's no, true. No that's wonder true. they they're gonna um, you know take advantage of that. But I thought I'd include that because I know, one, yeah, I, know I know when we first met that was one of the first things we spoke about. I had no them. idea about this. Yeah. I definitely under the radar um, for a film that was so successful and popped into so many people's like top ten list of the year kind of thing. Yeah. Nice. Uh, should we move on? Yeah, okay. Nice. So I think that um, we haven't actually gone to the cinema this week together to see something, uh, um, unfortunately. But it's totally all right because we have um, a nice big dollop of film news um, from this week in terms of Oscar nominations. Um, perhaps the biggest, at least Western, movie event of the year is the Oscars that normally take place sort of end of February, beginning of March mm. or so. Um, so around about this time, early February slash late January in the year is when the true Oscar bait drama titles start really pouring into the UK. Um, so we're going to have a fair share of those hopefully on the show, I'm sure. Um, so do you want to go through like the list? We can just yeah, pass sure. through. Yeah, um, sure. So obviously there are so many awards that we could go through and, and it would take a we'll, long time we'll, we'll, to we'll list pick. them all. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll go for the sort of massive ones first. So best picture, we have Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favourite, Green Book, Roma, a Star is Born and Vice. Um, I've seen maybe a third of these movies, um, so I have fairly strong opinions, at least on those, in terms of my wants and expectations. I, I think before we compare them, it mm -hmm. probably is uh, important to identify the outlier, which is Black Panther, in yeah. terms of what it represents. Mm -hmm. Now, when I found out that news, once again, I was kind of mixed, because culturally there is a, a high degree of pertinence to the fact that mm. not only a superhero film but a, a superhero film about predominantly black characters has made it into the academies now irrespective of my what my personal opinions are about the academy awards um i do have high respect for its ability to make it into that list yeah, sure i don't think it will make it like i don't think it will win um, it would be a picture. very interesting choice in my opinion. if it did I would be very surprised yeah. because I, as much as the cultural impetus is what got it the nomination in the first place because it's not my favourite Marvel film it's great but it's mm -hmm. not my favourite I don't think that cultural impetus is going to carry it to the to the mm -hmm. award because there's not enough traction there Yeah, from, from my perspective um, it does feel a bit like riding the hype train um, because obviously part of um, the Oscars glow is, is looking at the Golden Globes and Black Panther was also nominated for Best Film there as well. Um, and uh, again... Did it win anything at Golden um, Globes? I'm not sure. I don't think it did. I might be wrong there. Um, we probably would have heard about it. It might have yeah. had a production design. Yeah, possibly. which um, is gorgeous. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Afro-futuristic bliss. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's lovely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I need to watch it. <laughs> Um, you haven't seen it? I know, yeah, I know. I got oh, okay. to this point in the conversation, I haven't actually oh, seen it. Oh my god, I, I should have um, gone into that. That's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, cool. We'll sit down and watch it. Don't yeah, worry, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, so I think I, I kind of want Roma to win. Roma's also been uh, nominated for Best uh, Foreign Feature Film that I will go into later on. Um, so for it to kind of make both Best Picture, generally, and Best Foreign Language Feature Film is a really strange thing to happen. I don't know how often that's actually happened in the past. Um, that would be amazing for that movie to win. Um, but in the western sphere i would i would definitely go for sorry um english language sphere uh i would definitely go for the favorite um because we had our in episode three if you want to check that out we had a chat about the favorite which i um i think i liked more than matty Matt, yeah, we, we, we both liked it but i i adored it i thought that almost every aspect of it was just stunning um so that would be lovely so, to win. so you, th you think the favorite's probably gonna s s um, take it because, you know, because i i, I you know, like I said, I, I didn't mm. think as highly of it as, as you did. Yeah. Um, but I don't also think that Black Panther is going to win. I 
suspect that the Dark Horse um, might be Black Klansman. I'm, I'm a big Spike Lee fan, mm-hmm. and but some of his later work is a bit middling, middling yeah. up and down. It, it, it's not as consistent. Yeah. Um, but I did really enjoy that film a lot. I loved Black Klansman, yeah. 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 Um, some people I talked to kind of had drawbacks in terms of how... Um, the characters were employed in the story and his like love interest being a bit too one-dimensional and some of the actual shooting being questionable. But I didn't really feel that in the film. I, I didn't feel those criticisms as much applied to my opinion of it. And, and it obviously has, if you've seen the film, it has a very heavy political commentary piece at the very end, which people, people, people were complaining about it being like, Spike Lee being a racist against white people, but I just I just think it's an ex- like an expression, like it's a film. I oh, don't no, really yeah. mind that at all. I, I think if you look at a lot of uh, Spike Lee's political commentary in his in his films, it's quite didactic. It's like, certainly charged, but yeah, I don't mind because he's making his own film. I don't yeah, really it's, care. Yeah, it's, it's it's his artistic piece. Of and course, yeah. Like whether or not you're we're having discussions about the subtlety of those, yeah. those political messages, mm. um, that's a completely different thing, but he is quite didactic and he's very clear to the point about um, what he wants to say about race relations yeah. and using that setting of the Klansman David Duke which is hilari- hilariously paid by is Grace, very well done yeah. um, is fantastic and it, it, it should it's it's not a surprise it's a nomination now one problem it did have or, or one criticism that was levelled against it was Boots Riley the musician and director oh, made, sorry to bother you this year so- as well. sorry to bother you yeah. which is a bananas film. Uh, um, That's the word you use when you message me about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> last yeah. month. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the only film I can uh, only word I can use to describe that film. It, <laughs> it, it's it's very wacky. It's yeah. about corporate greed as much as it's about yeah. race and it's about upward mobility and a meritoc- meritocracy. Meritoc- meritocracy. Meritocracy is the one. Yeah, I wanted to get the uh, the adjective there <laughs> mugged up. Yeah, uh, in America and a, and there's a it's very thematically packed, but then it takes a massive. Uh, you know, left turn mm. in the third act. But it's the reason I brought that up is Boots Riley, the director, criticised Spike Lee for over sensationalising a story that wasn't there in the first place, in that a lot of the story beats in Black's, Black Klansman about his infiltration of the KKK were fabricated. And I mean, we're, we're critical viewers we go into it looking going okay we know elements of this is sensationalized just like we were talking about with stan and ollie last week yeah but i think he leveled specific criticisms about the outcomes of the film based on what these story beats have been fabricated about uh in i don't want to go into specifics of people who haven't seen the film but rather the kind of triumph at the end with the kkk yes and, yeah and it, it's uh, a bit too it, clean cut it, it is a bit too clean cut and spike lee makes it a point to have the kind of afterthought like this isn't by no means over uh but there were some criticisms yeah. my, i mean my take on that is basically that it the film manages in the final leg to uh really mix in victory with catastrophic failure and 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 depressing news in the current times and charlottesville was obviously a really horrific moment um for the whole world to see and for him to put that into the film um as well as having more of a clean-cut story means that nothing is sort of quite as it seems i suppose in the film so i i know what he means but i don't mind the fact that it seems a bit too polished i I mean you're always going to have to sacrifice an element of complexity to be able to tell the story exactly one small thing that i did enjoy and what you just surmised is that 
when he does have the victory over the KKK, I'm pretty yeah. sure he comes in in one of the final scenes. Is like he's dancing and he's happy, and then it's immediately undercut. So yeah. I did appreciate that. Yeah, um, yeah, I can see that as maybe a yeah. underdog. That would be a one. That would be a good. Um, so, so on the Black Klansman note, we'll go to best director now. So Spike Lee has been nominated for for best director on Black Klansman. Um, there's uh, Pavel Pavlikovsky for Cold War, um, Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorites, uh, Alfonso Cuarón for Roma, and Anna McKay for Vice. I would love. I really can't decide between Yorgos uh, for The Favorite and Alfonso Cuarón for Roma um, because I, I, like I said before, I do love both those movies. I would like Spike Lee to win um, in a strange way and also expect him to win. I think partly because he hasn't, I don't think he's been nominated for a director before. Possibly I read that today. I, I think that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. So it would be a nice victory for him, both for the film and for his career generally, because um, I really, really plan to watch Do the Right Thing quite soon because that's really, really high on my, on my watch list Wait, are we going to do Black Panther and Do the Right Thing? Uh, mm. One after Let's the other. Yeah. Exciting times, yeah. So those are directors. Um, who do you think? will win <laughs> um okay so i have to admit i still haven't seen roma i hope that by the time this airs i'll i'll be able to sit down and watch it mm -hmm. um i've heard rave things about that i i like alfonso Cuaron as yeah. a director the example that comes to mind is the the harry potter film but there's plenty yeah. of other stuff that he's yeah. done i need to watch roma so i can't give an opinion about that what i will say is i also really 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 want to go see vice because Adam McKay, who I believe directed The Big Short. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Which I always find a particularly interesting film in the way that it kind of didn't quite sanitize by any capacity the housing crisis and, and you know, the economic recession that happened in 2008, the crash. But it presented it in a very more obscurely palatable way with, yeah. you know, celebrity cam cameos, etc. I'm really curious to see how serious the tone is yeah. for this Dick Cheney biopic. And also, I've heard some very promising things about Christian Bale's performance in it. The the way he I literally got yesterday, only yesterday, did I realise that he is Dick Cheney on the poster. I could yeah. not recognise him. So that leads us to um, I won't talk about this in depth, but they've been nominated for best makeup and hairstyling for that film, Vice, um, without having even seen the film. I mean, kind of fully deserves because it was just an incredible transformation uh, for Christian Bale to look that different. Oh yeah, no, that that's I can completely agree i mm. was i had that moment of disbelief as well yeah, yeah. The, the issue with some of like the lesser known or lesser spoken about categories mm. such as makeup and design mm. is that when it's done well then that's fantastic yeah but when it's kind of given to someone like a film almost in an obligatory sense yeah that i don't deal with well because i, I don't what are the other options for the makeup and they design. Yeah. I have to do some shuffling. Oh, uh, yeah, it's yeah. almost at the end, I think. Um, I will find it eventually. And here we go. Yes. No. Yes. We got. There we go. Um, best makeup and hairstyling. Um, so we have Border, Mary Queen of Scots, Scots rather, and Vice. So only three. Um, see, I see what I mean? Like it's it's like quite. It can be quite small. It's it's constricted. Things. I expected the favourite to be on there. To be honest. I mean, but. So, so the reason I bring that up is because, yes, like even from the get-go, we can see that amazing transformation. Now, irrespective of what I end up thinking about that film, yeah. I can see that immediately. Now, two also two years ago, I think two years ago, or maybe, yeah, because it would have been the 2017 um, awards, yeah, uh, okay. Suicide Squad yeah. got the Oscar yeah. for makeup and design, yeah. which it was interesting to look at, yeah. but it wasn't amazing, and... I don't want to say it was obligatory in any sense, but it means that my opinion about that 
category is a bit skewed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I understand. And that. also, when I see the quality of the film, I, I can t- I can abstract away the quality mm. of the makeup. But mm. I didn't think that was amazing. Mm. But yeah, we shall see about the makeup. It probably will be Vice, even with us yeah. not seeing yeah. it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, um, to ru- to re-rustle. Um, yeah, sorry, I apologise. Gonna... I've made you rustle through yeah, all yeah, of yeah. your we'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, we'll just go to some acting as well. So Best okay. Actor, I'm not really engaged in this year at all with this category because we have uh, Christian Bale as Dick Cheney uh, in Vice, Bradley Cooper in A Star Is Born, uh, which he directed as well, Willem Dafoe uh, in At Ascendancy's Gate as Vincent van Gogh, Rami Malek in... Uh, as Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, and Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. Which we'll definitely so review I, for the show. So I've only then. seen A Star Is Born. I think that Bradley Cooper actually did a really great job. So that's the only really comment that I can have on that, at least um, currently. I saw uh, Bohemian Rhapsody the yeah. other day, mm. um, because I think they're doing a re-release to try and drum up for a sing-along kind of uh, period of The Greatest Showman so. style. Yeah, yeah. and or yeah. Mamma Mia 2 and stuff like that, which is getting like a lot of kitschy kind of buzz to mm-hmm. do like a re-release and make yeah. more money out of it yeah um he does deserve the nomination uh, you know i think we mentioned it in one of the previous episodes about the the mark of a good sort of characterization of a that you don't guess. see Ryan Malik yeah. at all yeah you see just and, the character yeah um it's like fantastic uh he obviously has to have the teeth prosthetics put in yeah uh, because freddie mercury had additional molars or something like that which helped oh, with his range that's why he was able oh, to hit wow. and they cool. mention it in the film uh, i have m- more middling things to say about the film overall but his characterization was excellent i've heard very similar things in terms of the film being kind of nothing special but him but his character generally yeah, being awesome and yeah. um bohemian rhapsody also got a nomination for sound editing if I'm not mistaken. That might be right, yeah. yeah I'll um, have a quick check for because you. Because they, I believe they mapped some of Freddie Mercury's original vocals onto Remy Malek doing his performance. Okay, cool, yeah. The interesting thing about that is, while he was excellent and he was really pitch perfect at, you know, both characterising him as a person and in his vocal ability, the dubbing of the actual film was actually quite bad in the first act. Oh, really? Like, I thought I was just getting quite old and that I couldn't hear what they were saying, but some of the music was really poorly, like, d- uh, edited over, also quite poorly dubbed wow. yeah. dialogue. For a film that's so big, you yeah. would have thought it does better. Maybe, yeah. I, I, I might be mistaken that most people found it perfectly easy to understand and comprehend what they were saying, but some of it was, like, really... A bit jarring. Yeah, and, I, and because it was a re-release, there weren't that many people in the cinema, so it wasn't like it was a case of me hearing someone else and yeah. getting abused. So yeah. that I'm a bit more iffy about, but his characterization, excellent. That's fine. Okay, yeah. interesting. Um, I think I'll, I'll go for my last one. I actually list all of them um, yeah. because then we'll go into sort of our own expectations and stumps and stuff. Nice. Um, so best actress um, to round it out, we have Yalitza Aparicio as uh, the Cleo, the maid in Roma, mm-hmm. which is awesome because um, this is her acting debut. She knocks it out of the park. She's incredible. Um, we have Glenn Close as the wife. Uh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. The, the character of the wife in The Wife, um, Joan <laughs> Castleman. Uh, Olivia Colman uh, in The Favourite as Anne, Queen of Great Britain. Um, I've said enough about how amazing I think she is already, I think. Lady Gaga in A Star Is Born. Yeah. Um, and Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me? I'm really pleased with this category, honestly. I would love it for it to go to Yalitza. And I kind of want and expect it to go to Olivia Colman. I, I, I agree with you. I think we, we were pretty much in unanimous agreement about this when we did our episode on the favorite that yeah. she she 
does deserve it. The competition does look very impressive. Mm. The last film I think is important uh, important to highlight because I I don't know if that's been it's been released yet in the UK. Not for us, but we're, we're close. We're close. No, but that's like that's a turn for Melissa McCarthy. Like she's doing a serious, a fairly serious role. Um, yeah. She's and it's and it's not a serious role where she's like playing the you know the straight man to like a a duo in a comedy film. Mm-hmm. She's actually taking a dramatic turn, a mm. bit like Steve Carell started to do when he like did films like Foxcatcher. And more recently with Welcome to Marwen and yeah, with yeah. Uh, Beautiful Boy as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's he's moved more into a more serious actor. Territory. Yeah. Uh, that that looks interesting because not only did she get an Oscar nom for her lead performance, but Richard E. Grant got one as for supporting, which ah, was yeah. very intriguing. Obviously, we can't say much about the film other than I saw the trailer when I went to go see yeah. the Indian. It looks it looks possible. But yeah, right. it looks it, to me, to me it looks like the standard Oscar fodder. You know what I mean? Like the kind mm. of tale that will mm. drum up a bit mm. of buzz, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting Olivia Colman. Sure. Um, do you want to talk about some snubs, personal snubs, that you um, think should be on the list but um, didn't make it? I'm trying to think. Do you want to go first? Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. I, I've only got a couple, really. Um, in a strange way, Paddington 2 didn't get any love this, this year. Was that this year? Um, I'm not sure. Because I was watching some videos about how people wanted to see it in the special effects category. Because it is actually really stunning. Um, it, the, it looks lovely, but... Paddington the Bear is 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 really well done. Um, it is a good question. I I, I think it is. Um, but it it would be nice to see it on the list somewhere. It is it's, yeah. it's it's one of those cases of it being quite a long year that films that may have come out this year or twenty eighteen mm. felt a lot longer away. Yeah, so yeah. like If it wasn't for the cultural buzz that was Black Panther, like Black Panther would have felt like quite a while ago totally it was march right i think yeah, fe- yeah. late february early march because yeah. it was only a couple of months before that's the very tip March. of like it being uh compatible with 2019 yeah um, yeah and i think like in our minds naturally like go oh, okay we got compartmentalized the year so this is yeah the moment. yeah exactly so Paddington 2 i mean if it got i i think it's an incredible movie yeah. i actually oh, really recommend film, yeah. beautiful film and, and really really funny and very poignant it's um it's, it's yeah. interesting because there's uh, we should actually um include the link for this because there's a video i can't remember the specific youtuber but we'll find, I'll find the link it. about the value of heroes that go f- don't that that they don't go through and character change the plot happens to them uh it's a certain type of narrative storytelling that you can adopt if you can find a very intelligent way of doing it and paddington 2 is a perfect example they start wholesome and end wholesome yeah because yeah. because paddington doesn't have any kind of moment of like change does he he's quite like a fly on the wall but he's also just very wholesome and there's nothing wrong with him it's the people around him that kind of change precisely yeah, yeah but i will find the link for that because it's it's very interesting how you can sort of look at how to tell a story through something that you think is just for kids but it's yeah actually i mean it, it's exactly as you say he he brings the change out in other people mm. when he um makes people realize that they should trust who they are and be more comfortable in their own skin yeah. uh the case in point the son of the family who yeah yeah who goes through a, an arc of liking steam trains um but oh, it's a wonderful movie that yeah. um my only other one to mention is a film that i saw today um 11 a.m in the curzon previews for five pounds for students it's so good on this this sunday morning burning which is a korean uh, very slow burning uh, drama uh, hence the name that movie really was stunning um it, it was a kind of film where I, I kind of felt my focus slipping a bit while i was watching it and it possibly might have had some minute pacing problems but it has it features Stephen Yun who uh plays Glenn in The Walking Dead that's his kind of uh, claim to fame 
uh, and he's wonderful in the film. He he's has a very subtle performance. Um, the other guy. performances. Sorry, I haven't yeah. seen that, but I know you were speaking its praises when mm. we were walking to the performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other uh, sort of uh, main actors in that, they're a lot younger. He's the more veteran actor. This is very true. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it's a Korean film. You just yeah. Said, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll get onto that because we'll talk about some oh, things yeah, sure. that we saw this week later on. Um, oh, but I, it didn't get any love um, for, I think it was in the finalists for being nominated for Best uh, Foreign Language Picture this year, but it didn't quite make it. Oh, um, but Rome is there, so I can't complain too yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm, I've just been thinking in my mind sure. what might have, Partly because of Black Panther, in terms of special effects, yeah, Infinity War, it's on there, yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Is it really? Yeah, it's very much a film that when I saw that and and Thanos played by Josh Brolin, um, it's Marvel's got to the point where for me, in a really strange way, the visual effects are too clean. It, it it's got to the point where it's just you can't distinguish anything from someone moving in real life to motion capture or something because the way that Thanos moves is so insanely smooth it's an incredibly impressive feat but impressive is where it ends for me because it because there's something about it that doesn't quite engage me the movement is just it's too flowing and there's there's, there's there needs to be something slightly grimy to it like I, I saw the, the first Avengers movie recently again I, I rewatched it for perhaps the fifth time or something and there is just something a tiny bit grounded more grounded yeah. to it um so I, I miss that these days you, in Marvel. I, I mean, interestingly, you know, you have criticisms from the DC universe for yeah. being almost too gritty and too grounded and, yeah, and sure. their special effects would come across as brooding in of, the, in of themselves. But there's also an interesting video. I'm, I'm full of the YouTube links. There, <laughs> but there's uh, an interesting YouTube channel called Nando vs. Movies. I think he's you, great. Yeah, yeah, he's excellent. And he does a video specifically about, I believe, like great big big great villains. Yeah, I've seen that one. Villains, yeah, yeah. Uh, which he ha- he has the opposite criticism that he doesn't, you know, like the kind of tendency or inclination within the superhero genre to have, you know, that kind of grounded element. And part of that grounded element is transposed onto the fact that loads of their villains are great. Yes. And, and you have to find that balance because I understand that. I'm personally really just taken back by the realistic qualities of Josh yeah. Brolin's yeah. Mo- mocap yeah. for uh, Thanos and I think because this film was so big and hyped that I didn't think about it that much but you might have a point there that it's almost too immersive yeah. I think it's not so much to do with the gritty versus um, fantasy version of it but it's, it's more when I say grounded I mean more I think um, just how you know, you know how our eyes can only really render things in I think it's 60, mm. 60 FPS for our human eyes um if you go beyond that so there's that whole thing about what's it called um these uh soap opera effects where there are some uh flat screen widescreen tvs that you buy for your home the motion scrubbing yeah yeah. Yeah, so, yeah so they basically uh insert artificial frames into a movie to make your eye understand what's happening on screen understand the actual motion so for example um the new mission impossible movie fallout tom cruise and the director both um were trying to get people not to watch the film on the tvs that had this um, feature on them because the movie doesn't look the way that they initially yeah, intended yeah. it to and, and there are some action sequences that that get too smooth and i, I think that's to that that's the criticism that i have with oh, you think, yeah. infinity war it it, it it glides too much uh, that's, um, that's interesting because in I, my memory anyway yeah no that, that is really intriguing because i remember when i was younger and i used to see that on some of those tvs and i, I could never put my finger on what exactly that was mm-hmm. but maybe that's a case of watching it on a TV like that as opposed to 
a cinema screen? Did yeah. you feel like you had oh, no, a no. similar experience? So, so, so I saw Infinity War in the cinema. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is an old one. I just it that the the TV thing came to mind because of how I how I'm remembering Thanos on this yeah. movement. Um, again, it, it's not something that drags down the film entirely for me. Yeah, I, just I just a, think that it's a personal just preference. Just an observation. Um, yeah, yeah exactly. that, that is that is intriguing because it it paves the way for discussions later in terms mm. of how improvements are made when the effects are almost too perfect. You know. Yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. So I I think that should win personally, but yeah. Uh, do we have any other categories that we want to go through, or we kind um, of? I think we, we've got to the ones that that I wanted to sort of properly have a look through. I mean, we, I don't really have any snubs because uh, it seems a lot of things are in at least a certain way accounted for. Yeah, I, I'm sure retrospectively, yeah. I'll probably be like, "Oh no, I should have mentioned this," but yeah. it's looking quite diverse this year. Yeah, uh, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I think as a nice surprise is um. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs got a bit of love, which is the Coen Brothers' new movie. It's an anthology western on Netflix, um, which it got um, a Best Original Song nomination for When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings, uh, which is a in the film is a very strange sequence that comes on. And it was just sort of, it didn't really come across my mind for that to get a nomination, but it was just really nice. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a very, for the Coen Brothers, it has a, um, it has a lot of, edge to it as a film but at the same time compared to something like Fargo um, it's not as ruthlessly dark comical mm-hmm. um, it, 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 it feels comedy. a bit more genteel in the way that it presents itself actually yeah. in a very interesting maybe way maybe that's a you know stylistic change but yeah. I mean there's a small point to be made that mm. uh, I, I would be opening a can of worms if we get into this now but, <laughs> but the uh, maybe greater assimilation between Netflix and traditional Cinema oh, it's such. An, I literally had this chat yesterday with someone. It's such an interesting chat because Spielberg, um, I think, has once said that Netflix movies will never ever deserve Oscar nominations, and there is some practicality in terms of Oscar-nominated films have to have a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of like part of the argument. But I think for Spielberg, it was yeah. more to do with like he was very much a cinema-going um, person and yeah. someone who very much supports the industry. I'm in two minds. I think Netflix is incredible. Netflix funded Roma, yeah. which is a film that is insanely ambitious, really odd filmmaking, and had a 110-day shoot, which is just ludicrous. No one else would have let Kyodon make the movie that he did, and I'm so glad for that. So Netflix should be respected in that way. To but. be honest with you, I, I brought it up because I genuinely just think that we're in a transition period. Mm-hmm. People like Spielberg are kind of outliers here. You know, he's an authority because he's a very well-regarded and well-known filmmaker, and him having putting his opinion out there is going to carry some weight, but I don't agree with him in the slightest yeah. because <laughs> different avenues uh, and different ways of funding projects are always going to emerge and old ones are going to fall apart. And yeah. You just have to get with the times a little bit. But personally, that's my opinion. Yeah. But in relation to the awards, which are notoriously slow when mm-hmm. it comes to you know <laughs> picking up on what's happening, yeah. then things like having Black Panther or things like having a, a Netflix-funded film like Roma yeah. in there... Excellent. Yeah, it's great. Um, I think, yeah, the last thing to say for uh, Oscars generally is uh, animated feature film that we just touched on a bit before. So we have Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I think we both agree that it must be Spider-Man because um, that yeah, no, is no. so ambitious and so has such a... Um, y- you can see how much love has been poured into oh, the no, making. Yeah. Um, I would be very disappointed if that didn't get it. Mm-hmm. But if Incredibles 2 got it, I wouldn't be surprised because the way that Brad Bird 
adopts almost like a film, like a traditional film, like cinematography to some of his animation, like the angles in which he shoots some of the sequences, like where Elastigirl chases after the screen slaver or the whole um, train sequence, superb as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's got good competition, but Into the Spider-Verse has to win. Yeah, I mean, I think I uh, Incredibles 2 is a film that, feels like a sequence of events that happen and are fun and enjoyable and actually quite funny to watch as well but just don't really make up a a, a cohesive film for me i know it i mean at this point it doesn't really feel like a hot take because i think that the opinion of it is that it is like fine and passable i know that i enjoyed watching it but it is by no means one of my favorite pixars and, and i think that it is I don't want to discredit Bad Bird for this because I I think that he's a very soulful director. Um, so he won't have been someone who's like, what's going to work? What's the formula? But it just feels like a lot of things could have been made to improve the impact of uh, the finale, especially. Um, I think that also Nana V. Mubius, the, the person we uh, recommend uh, on YouTube, has done a video on this as well. But yeah, may- maybe it's a whole take, but I know I, that it's not up there. I, I definitely think we disagree quite strongly. Fair on that enough. One. Okay. But I, I will. I will concede that I, I do think <laughs> the finale wasn't cracked up to sure. what it meant to be. But I think visually and what and for what I was waiting for since a child till now, mm-hmm. it more than delivers. I went to go see it with my little brother, who is a completely <laughs> new generation of cinema goer, yeah, yeah. and so had seen the first one, but saw it many years after, maybe like a yeah, year ago. Totally. So for him it was spellbound finding and yeah. for me it was and that that i love but if we we can spend a whole retrospective episode on, on the incredibles uh yeah. genre, but into the spider-verse has to win it <laughs> has to like if any film there that i would put money on then it would be that mm-hmm. one for that category uh yeah, yeah. don't don't bet kids yeah, don't, don't gamble bet. not a good idea <laughs> is, yeah and don't gamble on film awards if you're gonna do that like that's weird uh each to their own yeah shall we move on from that yeah sure um so like we said earlier we haven't actually gone to see a new film together um so we thought that we'd just have a little chat about the things that we've seen in the past week and a half independently um because i've actually seen a fair few movies the, the past the past few days quite, you've been quite um, prolific i have very much um so massey if you want to just go for something that you've seen recently okay so what i think we'll do is what we should do is like alternate so i have a couple of films i've seen recently yeah. One in which I've rewatched because it's one of my favourite films. So I'm going to mention that one first before anything else. Uh, this film is probably up there in my top ten favourite. Nice. Films. Okay. I, I don't know actually. It al- my top ten alternates massively. <laughs> yeah, but, it always changes. But yeah. I I recently bought like a budget projector and I've been putting it up on my screen, uh, on my um, wall, and so it's just like encourage me to like sit down and watch as many films as possible Mm -hmm, so i get my dvds out and i'm like what do i want to watch today and the thing that i watched last night again which i love is high fidelity which is directed by stephen frears and it's based off the nick hornby book from 1995 i think (laughs) i just it frustrates me how much this film kind of made me love it you know uh, it's it's sort of (laughs) It's set in a world of quirky pop culture, music-obsessed aficionados. Tom, I'm very familiar with your music taste. I know you'd appreciate <laughs> it. And I'm like, I'm a massive sucker for like the whimsy and droll, fourth-wall-breaking kind of winks to the camera sure, sure, of, sure. of its central character, who's called Rob, and he's played by John Cusack, who I think had an involvement with the script. Now, the film is basically just centred around this existential 
crisis slash reverie that Rob, John Cusack's character, has where he sort of, re- uh, you know, retrospectively looks at his old romances and his past girlfriends. Okay. And he tries to top five everything in his life. So, But then as you realise, it extends to, like, breakups and, and relationships and, and friends. He, and he's, yeah. he's very... Um, Ridiculous. He's very neurotic, and some of the best mm. moments in the film are when he doesn't realise the irony and hypocrisy of his actions in relation to his ex-girlfriends. Like, he'll cheat on one of them and then wonder why they broke up with him. Yeah. But he's still really, really likeable, and that might be because it's John Cusack, and I love John <laughs> Cusack and everything before 2005. Mm. Um, but there's rarely a cliché to the kind of self-professed cleverness mm. of the script, and there's even this really memorable... because. The, the main actual arc of the story is he's trying to get over his l- most recent um, ex, Laura, uh, and she gets with another guy who's played by Tim Robbins, of all people. <laughs> from obviously, Shawshank Good Redemption. Choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's like this really pretentious guru guy with a ponytail. And there's this amazing sort of memorable one, two, three alternate take um, sort of scene where Rob comes to his record store, which he owns, and says, I'll oh, stop talking to Laura, your ex. And, and it's really... Um, commonly used thing in film these days but you know the sort of scene whereby like you'll see what they want to do in their mind they'll play the scene out like three or four times like different ways so like one way when he tells him to leave Laura alone is like he'll he's like punching him like get out of my store and then another way he's like really polite and it's done really dryly and excellently really funny I won't go on for too much longer. One thing I will say, because he is a record store owner, the soundtrack in this film is killer. He he, ha- There's a whole scene where he decides to, instead of alphabetizing his record collections, organise them based autobiographically, based on his life experiences. So he's this... Oh, uh, yeah. wow, okay. Uh, That's cool. Anyway, the soundtrack, killer. Yeah. And it's there's a really, really great supporting performance from Jack Black as the kind of musically pretentious snob, like a monolinguist employee at his record store. I'm fond of Jack Black. Yeah. I am. <laughs> and it's a really good example as well of, or just a reminder, if you will, that Jack Black can be like quite an agreeable, quite a charming, and just genuinely good actor mm. if he's given the right script. And usually the right script is something that's music-laden and very heavily music dominated and you know what i'm referring to when i say that of course school of rock school of rock yeah um, which i genuinely think we should be doing a retrospective episode about sometime when we don't have a new release because that's super anyway sure. i fidelity excellent film i gotta check Kisak it out is stunning and it's also a great film for students like it's the type of film you sit down and you talk about it and mm. how funny it is and how witty it is yeah i rewatched that last night great time i had jaffa cakes in my hand it was it was excellent the projector <laughs> was on the wall i had i was content jaffa cakes do yeah. tend to help everything yeah. um so yeah i might battle off a, a few just very quickly um because i won't go too uh in detail with these um but i saw um speaking of cured on i saw children of men mm-hmm. again um i agree with you in terms of when i first saw the film i wasn't blown away by it i i saw its merits but you know when you, you can like understand why something is so popular but just yeah. not really get it yourself cool. that was what it, that was what it was like for the first viewing um it struck more bells this time um in in that i understood how impressive the the camera work was especially because there are a couple of insane long takes in the film uh, just to say yeah um that the plot revolves around the fact that the world is basically infertile and no one can have kids and it kind of follows his protagonist as he kind of goes through life a bit blindly and then it, it suddenly has this resurgence of meaning and hope in the film so 
a lot of his uh, films, I think, are about birth. So that, that, that's a big theme in Roma as well. And it, that is very powerful. It did affect me a lot more this time around. So I can recommend. Um, so, yeah, I mentioned last week The Raid and The Raid 2, um, Indonesian martial arts films with a Welsh director called Gareth Evans, uh, which are just incredible martial arts films. They, they have great uh, choreography, and I mentioned them last week, so I won't go too far beyond that. Um, and to continue the David Fincher rampage, um, I watched... Three weeks on the trot. I know, yeah, yeah. I know. He no, is, I'm, I'm not knocking it. He's amazing. He but... is truly the master. Um, Zodiac, yeah. I watched this week uh, from 07, about the, the real-life Zodiac killer from between the 70s and 80s. And it has an enormous cast of Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo, both before they started their Marvel careers mm. in 07, because Iron Man came out in 08. And Jake Gyllenhaal proving, again, his worth as a very versatile actor in lots of different roles. Um, that film is very long. Uh, it takes a long time uh, to engage you. And I think that if if this is the intention, then it's a masterwork. But um, I felt like it was losing me. Um, and my interest was sort of fading as I went along. And then Jake Gyllenhaal's character comes back in with this revitalized interest um, in the killer and trying to solve the case because the film is uh takes place over three decades yeah um so it kind of makes you really feel the passage of time and that you feel the waning interest of the whole world watching in on this on this case and then it and it just comes back in um with a really powerhouse uh performance from dylan hall because i am a big fan of him and the ending is very uncertain um in real life the case is unsolved um which is obviously a, a very scary thought and it's the kind of film where you finish and you kind of you feel like you want to sit in your seat for a bit and just ruminate yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and just kind of replay some things in your head and just keep the feeling of that some claustrophobia and some just strange intrigue fascination into darkness mm-hmm. um, and and how obsessive there's, um, there's certainly an element of quite morbid curiosity yeah but, but but I think that the biggest thing is about how obsession leads to destruction um, because Jenin Hall's family kind of starts fading away mm-hmm. um, so that was a massive um, kind of film to watch and to sit down uh, and experience um my, my last one for um old well old films retrospectively i suppose is what we do in the shadows which is taika watiti's um vampire mockumentary wherein he plays basically the main character and he is brilliant um i was laughing out loud the whole film um that's it really shot up um in my list of all time but also just comedies of all time because i don't find that many comedies that i really appreciate hilarious I think he's got a great sensibility. So yeah, that's a really good choice. And we were talking. I remember what you were mentioning uh, it to me the other day. And yeah. Speaking its praises. Yeah. That there's going to be a TV show soon of that, isn't there? I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which should be exciting. Mm-hmm. I have to sort of shift course a bit. Not quite a comedy in any sense of the word. Sure thing. My I watched this today actually, and I think it fits very well with foreign language films what we're talking yeah. about categories for the Oscar yeah, yeah. I watched um, Ali uh, Ali Ali Fear Eats the Soul which was a 1974 German film by the director I'm really not um, I'm going to butcher his name <laughs> Reiner 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 Fassbinder Fass, someone if anyone's listening who has um, greater knowledge about German cinema which is probably anyone <laughs> compared to me uh, they'll be able to decipher what who I'm referring to there I definitely want to get into more world cinema in general but um, Ali Fear Eats the Soul is the story kind of revolves around uh, Emmy or Emmy or uh, Miss uh, Kurowski as she mm. is known by her sort of friends of 
local community. And she's an older German-Polish widower in 1970s reconstructed Munich. And having lost her husband several years ago, and with her children only kind of infrequently interested in her, Mm. she seeks the companionship of a Moroccan immigrant mechanic called Ali, who is played by El Hedi Ben Salim, who is the director's partner. um, Oh, wow, okay. And the whole story arc of the film is that is kind of centered around resistant bigoted attitudes by what what emmy considers her friends and family because of his moroccan heritage and his dark skin and it's for, for starters there are some beautiful almost still photographic shots of the couple isolated in the in a world that was presumably quite busy but are kind of disgusted by their relationship not least because of the age gap between them but because he is a moroccan man and this is a great contrast to the social coercion and ridicule that they have throughout the film it this sounds very easily like it could be like a german version of harold and maud where it's all quirky and it's like an older woman and a younger guy sure but it's not that what makes this film stand out to me was the kind of need to take the dynamic further between ali and emmy to explore a kind of motif of assimilation uh, and because essentially what happens is for the bulk of the film it's dealing with how they address all of this bigotry and being treated as social pariahs but then later on it becomes more that they become accepted a bit better but Emmy the German woman the main character starts to deify and objectify her husband as they get married Ali in a kind of way that is focusing and emphasizing on the exoticism of someone foreign so she Mm. brings over her friends who are like look at his big muscles and she manages to sort of persuade them to move further away from their big views but only to adopt a more insidious kind of paternalism like oh he's my husband but he's also a foreigner that's a really cool kind of concept for a film yeah yeah Yeah. Like, like the general premise of it is quite simple but where they explore it is 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 excellent yeah um and the last thing i'll say on it is for 1974 the which is when it came out the yeah. race and gender politics were pretty avant-garde in, yeah yeah pretty intriguing and pretty perpursive like quite groundbreaking for what they're exploring check it out uh ali nice. eat ali fear eats the soul 1974 nice, cool. it's on youtube i think we can probably add a link awesome yeah. yeah yeah we'll do um so on the sort of uh, world cinema note that i completely agree with i need to kind of get more involved with that so I'll just talk a tiny bit about Burning now, which I saw today, the Korean drama of, of this year. Um, so it basically focuses around um, Lee Jong-soo, who is played by Yu, who is basically this sort of um, drifting guy in his sort of early 20s who hasn't really got a um, life goal. He wants to be a creative writer, mm-hmm. basically. He has no idea what he's going to do. Um, and he stumbles across an old school friend, um, Haimi, who is uh, played by the stunning uh, Jong Seo Jun. And, and then it complicates when she goes off to Africa, he looks after her, uh, her cat, um, whom, whom he never actually sees mm-hmm. um, and then she comes back from Africa with uh, Ben who's played by the Walking Dead's uh, Stephen Yun and then things complicate from there this film really blew me away um, I, I wasn't 100% focused through the whole runtime but it's the kind of film where you deeply desire to think about it after you've seen it because yeah. it, it does this incredible job of branding you with, with the characters that it portrays the cinematography is really stunning. Um, I, I, I'm kind of shaking with, with I thinking hear that about. From your really, yeah. yeah. Um, 
it's beautiful light. I mean, yeah. the, the the theme of fire is very is very mm-hmm. prevalent. Um, the soundtrack is really sparse, but it works exactly the way that it's, it it wants to, and it just arrests your mind mm-hmm. and really seeps into digs its claws and in, into the the truth you're really selling this I yeah really no want to no really it, it's it's really it. an incredible drama piece because it um the the characters minds are just dissembled and, and you never quite know what's going on in anyone's heads and you never quite know how anyone's got to that position in, in their lives um there's a i think the money line of the whole film is there are so many gatsby's in korea um because they because um ben Stephen Young's character is sort of this mysteriously wealthy yeah. person um and the main character is obsessed with literature and, and escapism. Um, it's just it, it everything about it is just so intriguing. Um, yeah. I, I personally took it away as more to do with struggling to find the truth in in the world and seeing that taken away from you. Um, but yeah, but the power of it is just intense. So, burning this year, go for it. <laughs> so these are the, some of the things that we've seen this week. Yeah. I because. Usually I say keep to the tradition of ending the show by saying recommending something. Because we've spoken about so many mm. films, I think we best... Yeah, we'll leave with that. Yeah, yeah. But I will briefly end with something that I was going to include in my list, but I'll just very briefly mention because it's a very sweet film. Whiskey Galore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 1949, directed by Compton McKenzie. It's just quite a silly cat and mouse tale between the locals of this fictional Scottish town uh, called, called Toddy, or Toddy, mm-hmm. I think probably who steal like dozens of crates of whiskey from this capsized boat that's playfully called the ss cabinet minister (laughs) and the low and they sort of have a as i said a silly cat and mouse chase between themselves and the local customs authorities after after them who want to get the whiskey back and it was the beginnings of a more developed modern comedic sense or comedic value to british films yeah and it was one of the first big hits for Ealing Studios after the war. The uh, film the film espouses like only what can be conceived as a Scottish or Great British faith in the power of boots. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's seen as a remedy in the film's World War Two setting. That that's my recommendation cool. for this week. Cool. I will say that there's an awful sequel, don't watch it. But there's also a 2016 reboot with Eddie Izzard. I watched the trailer for it to prepare for this. Don't watch that as well. <laughs> Go for the original. Yeah. Um, so just to round out this um, this episode, we've got a new little segment that I might try and introduce, which I'm gonna t- I've got this big heavy book in my hands called Cinema Studies: The Key Concepts, Fifth Edition Very by official. Susan Hayward. Um, I I got some Blackwell's book vouchers a while ago, and I thought. I like films. I'll, I'll get a cinema studies book. Um, and I haven't given a crack at it yet, but I'm just going to open a random page and see what I get in terms of a little definition of something. Um, so I've got space and time, spatial and temporal contiguity, um, which is apparently within classic narrative cinema, space and time are coherently represented in order to achieve the reality effect. Shots reveal spatial relationships between characters and objects and as such implicate the viewer as spectating subject. I have no idea what I just said, but I hope you enjoyed that little segment from <laughs> Cinema Studies, The Key Concepts, 5th Edition by Susan Hayward. Well, we'll, um, de- we'll definitely do that more and more. Yeah. Uh, we'll... I-, I might actually select a page for next time because that was very much incomprehensible. Um, but, it, but it is, I mean, looking around in the book, it promises to be actually a really interesting del- delving into yeah, yeah. film theory. You know what? I'll, I'll plan it a bit better next time. But, yeah. you know, this show is rough and tumble. Okay, uh, guys. Of course, so. of course. It's the new segments are going to take a while to get in, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's, it's perfectly fine. We should definitely wrap things up. Let's wrap things so up, yeah. what I will say is... 
Bye-bye to everyone. Tom? I shall say farewell, my doves. Oh, See you oh, very wow. soon. A lot more sophisticated. Yeah, well, I try. I try. See you guys soon. Thanks bye so bye. much for listening. Bye. You've been listening to Oxide Film. Thank you and good night. <laughs>